This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Film Show. Today is Thursday, November 2nd, 2023. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I am an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. All right, Brad, we have a lot to cover today. Um, I, I don't even really know how to best approach this. I guess there's a section here at the top of our doc that I've listed a bunch of news stories. We don't really have time to get into all of them. So I'll just kind of do like bullet points of uh, major things that people need to know. If we have any Yellowstone fans out there, or maybe if uh, you have family members who watch Yellowstone and are obsessed with the Taylor Sheridan verse, um, Yellowstone has pushed its final episodes back another year. And also, Taylor Sheridan has added two more spinoffs to the Yellowstone universe on Paramount+. Plus. So he continues to be like one of the busiest people in Hollywood. Um, but uh, Yellowstone had its fifth season split over two parts. And originally, it was supposed to be the, the second half of that season was supposed to air this year. But obviously, the strikes uh, put a stop to that. And so now, um, Variety reports that the final episodes are being slated for November of 2024. So one year from now, um, which means that the TV season is going to start and then end two years apart, which may be the first time that that's ever happened. Um, I know that like the Sopranos, you know, did like a a multi-part season that spanned at least a year, but this might be might be, uh, you know, unprecedented, unprecedented territory here. Um, so yeah, these these other two spinoffs, we don't really know much about them yet. Um, one of them is called uh, 1944, and the other one is called 2024. I believe 2024 is the one that Matthew McConaughey is going to be the star of. So uh, yeah, there's that, and we don't really know much about uh, 1944 yet. Um, I want to you... see 2049. I feel like that one's going to be fucking killer. Yeah, take us into the future. Let's go. <laughs> Have you had a chance to like explore any of these Yellowstone or Yellowstone-related shows at all? I have not watched a single Yellowstone-related show or commercial or anything tied to it. I know that it's a Western and Taylor Sheridan and Kevin Costner and... Sure. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm pretty much in the same boat. I've seen a couple a couple of uh, like trailers and commercials and stuff, but um, yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I know my parents watch it, so hi, mom. If you're listening, maybe this information is for you and no one else. So. You know what I'd I'd really like is I'd like to see a, a show called Jellystone that takes a deadly serious <laughs> approach to Yogi Bear. <laughs> <laughs> now we're cooking. I love it. Um, okay, so uh, another piece of uh, TV news here: House of the Dragon season two is going to premiere 
in 2024. So that's good news for fans of uh, Westeros and all things Game of Thrones. Um, unfortunately, we also know that uh, The Last of Us Season 2 and Euphoria Season 3 are not going to be coming until 2025. So again, like these are all sort of impacts and, and um, results of the studios not being able to come to a, an agreement with the WGA and with SAG uh, in a, in a time that's conducive for uh, producing television seasons on a, a regular schedule. So uh, that's what's happening there. Um, again, you can read more details about these. I'm just sort of flying through these so we can get to the meat of what we're really going to be talking about here. I did want to mention two trailers that came out that I thought were really cool. Uh, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes and The Fall Guy. Um, Brad, did you have a chance to watch both of these this morning when these dropped? Yeah, I watched both of them and I fucking loved both of them for very different reasons. Uh, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes just looks like a great you know, continuation further down the road uh, from the previous Planet of the Apes trilogy. Um, I, I mean, the visual effects look uh, fantastic, and I like that, you know, it's bringing us closer to that original Planet of the Apes storyline. So, yeah, bring, bring me more of those movies as often as you can. And, uh, man, Fall Guy looks just incredibly fun. Like, these are the movies Ryan Gosling should be making, like, at least once a year. Um, he, it's funny, charming. Emily Blunt is, is great in it. It's got mixes action and romance and comedy. So yeah, just, just give me both of these movies. I'll, I'll, I'll chomp them up. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to both. I think um, the only hesitation I have with the Fall Guy, which I, I really like this trailer a lot, is that David Leach is directing it. And he I've been burned by him a few times as a filmmaker. Um, but that being said, like the, the action and the tone and everything, strikes me as being really, really well balanced in this trailer. So if if the movie is just like an expanded version of the trailer and doesn't have any sort of, um, you know, wild, unexpected tonal shifts or uh, overly cheesy humor, which I think he's been um, subject to a few times, then I think this could be, yeah, like maybe potentially one of my favorite movies of next year. So very much looking forward to that. Uh, okay, let's get into like the real meat of the show here. The reason that I wanted to have you on, Brad, is because you know as much about Marvel Studios as anybody that I know. And there was a big piece in Variety yesterday uh, detailing a lot of stuff about what's been going on behind the scenes recently at Marvel Studios. And I just thought that we could, and we wrote a bunch of articles at Slash Film sort of breaking up the major talking points here. And I just thought that we could go through um, a few of those and uh, and see, yeah, wh what we what we come to, what agreements we uh, we arrive at, how we can you know solve these problems that these people who get paid millions millions of dollars a year can't solve. So uh, let's talk about it. So Marvel could replace Jonathan Majors with Doctor Doom. So Kang the Conqueror is the the main villain who's been set up to essentially lord over the re the next phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and all of their projects. And obviously, Jonathan Majors has, has gotten into some hot water with uh, allegations made against him. You can Google that for specifics there. But basically, Marvel Studios has, has been in like a wait and see uh, holding pattern trying to figure out whether or not that's going to go to trial. Turns out it is. So there's been a lot of back and forth about like, OK, what is the future of uh, Marvel Studios going to look like if Jonathan Majors if, if, if that uh, trial does not go in the way that uh, that Marvel wants it to go. Um, so what's your takeaway from this idea that like they could potentially bring in Dr. Doom to replace Kang as like the big bad of the next phase of the MCU? I mean, they've got enough time between now 
and what would have been Kang Dynasty to like make that happen if they really wanted to. You know, we know Fantastic Four is in the works. Doctor Doom is a very formidable foe in Marvel Comics. So making that change, you know, wouldn't be too difficult. Uh, it might be a little awkward since they've already laid a little bit of groundwork for, our, you know, all the different Kangs and stuff that are out there. Um, I, I just hope that they have enough time to really like establish Doctor Doom as you know, a proper foe in the MCU, because really it's an uphill battle to try and give us a villain who feels like they're on par with Thanos, because Thanos was such an increasingly dangerous threat in the MCU across, you know, those first three phases. And you really have to like lay your groundwork and make sure that it it works. And so I hope that if they were to switch it over to Dr. Doom, they could give us something that makes sense uh, narratively. But at the same time, I feel like it would be just as easy, if not easier uh, to just recast uh, Kang with somebody else, you know, I mean, even though we've seen all a bunch of different versions of Jonathan Majors as Kang in that, you know, quantum mania credit scene, and, mm-hmm. and we see him in Loki season two, which apparently the end of Loki season two really is going to uh, make things even worse for the, the Kang setup uh, stuff. But I feel like you could easily make it so that another version of Kang appears and that's like the superior version. And then all, then there's all these other, you know, versions of Kang that are that version played by a new actor. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I feel like that would be, you know, another way to go about it. But, you know, I'm sure Marvel is doing a lot of reconfiguring behind the scenes right now anyway, because they've had such a rough time, you know, getting the the correct momentum going with the MCU right now. So I'm, I'm sure that they've got a lot of different solutions in play. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I think this is kind of a two-pronged thing, right? The idea of replacing Kang with Doctor Doom, and Doctor Doom, I guess, was was apparently, I have not read the Secret Wars um, comic arc, but evidently Doctor Doom was the main villain of that, not Kang, so yeah. that, that might help out if, if they were to go in that direction. And then also, like, the other thing about Doctor Doom is, like, is he the right character to utilize here? Because that kind of unleashes the floodgates of the characters that were previously owned by Fox. And so far, Kevin Feige and the folks at Marvel have been very, very careful about utilizing those assets and like not rushing an X-Men movie or a Fantastic Four movie out of the gate. Um, and, and by relying on Dr. Doom and sort of slotting him into that position, that would, I don't know if that's like a, what do you think about using that as like the, the entree into the world of like the, the previously owned Fox owned by Fox uh, mutants and all that kind of stuff? I mean, I think we're on the verge of that anyway. You know, the Fantastic Four movie is in the works and like they were figuring out casting before the strikes happened. So they haven't been able to lock down any deals because the actor strike has been going on. Uh, but I'm sure we'll hear about that once the actor strike is is over. So there's there's a lot of potential there, you know, for to give us time for Fantastic Four to come out. And plus, don't forget, we also have Deadpool 3 coming, which is likely going to give us a, a more playful foray into the Fox uh, Marvel side of movies uh, before that. So we'll we'll probably get something happening with those characters even before uh, we get a new version of those characters, you know, put together in the proper MCU proper. So I, I think that it would it would probably still work out. Yeah, that's true. I didn't think about that. Um, so the other prong is, like you said, recasting Jonathan Majors. I'm trying to come up with downsides to recasting this character. So one of the things that I was thinking of is Warner Brothers did it recently with um, 
the Fantastic Beasts, the Crimes of Grindelwald. I think they re- they put uh, Mads Mikkelsen in there to replace Johnny Depp, and that didn't really turn out very well. Like I think that movie did not perform well at all. But I don't um, think that was necessarily the fault of recasting. Uh, sure, Johnny Depp has his loyal followers, uh, but I, I think that that's more to do just with the the waning interest in a franchise that didn't primarily deal with Harry Potter and didn't necessarily tickle the the, the fancies of fans of the original movies. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm just trying to think of like, if I was a bean counter in a, a Marvel boardroom somewhere, and I was, you know, just looking at the financial performance of these movies, like that would be a, a comp, as they say, that you could maybe look at. And I mean, and- if anything, we have we have two good examples of this working in Marvel's favor. And that's uh, Edward Norton into Mark Ruffalo for Hulk and um, Terrence Howard into Don Cheadle for Rhodey. So... Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, those were like slightly different situations. I think the the uh, Terrence Howard one was a financial situation and, and Edward Norton was like a, you know, he was like a, a creative, um, creative monster almost who like took over the the production of uh, of the Incredible Hulk movie. So they wanted to distance, distance themselves from him on that front. Um, so this is a slightly different situation. But yeah, I mean, as you yeah, that that they definitely some precedent has been established here. Um, the other downside is like Marvel gets some egg on its face, but like who cares? And then I don't know. Can you think of any other reason that they wouldn't want to just recast Jonathan Majors here? I mean, I guess only if it makes more sense to like shift into a different arena because of the trouble that they've been having with kind of getting any, you know, any interest that is on par with what fans were interested in the first time around. But at the same time, I'm not sure that there's anything you could do to like fix the current issue that would, you know, undo, you know, what we've seen as problems so far, you know, the cracks in, in the MCU since Endgame, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so like, 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 and I think that's partially why as they, you know, talk about in this uh, same story um, is that there have been discussions about bringing back the, you know, original Avengers team. And so if they're even considering that as like a, a something, you know, that we can do to, to write the ship, then obviously there's a lot of different options on the table. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we'll put a pin in that. We'll come back to that at the very end of this conversation. Um, so let's move on to the next story here, which is that uh, Marvel's blade underwent changes so extreme that Mahershala Ali almost left the film. So uh, that's kind of um, sh- shocking to hear because this movie has been in the works for a long time. I want to say they, they announced it on stage at San Diego Comic-Con in like 2019 or something. It's been, yeah, I think so. A long time. Um, but this movie has gone through at least five writers, two directors, and had had uh, one shutdown six weeks before production was scheduled to begin. Um, so this is a really odd uh, piece of information from this Variety report. At one point, the script for Blade, quote, morphed into a narrative led by women and filled with life lessons. Blade was relegated to the fourth lead a bizarre idea considering that the studio had two-time Oscar winner Ali on board. So, um, <laughs> I mean, obviously I don't think they're going with that idea because that, that was part of like things got so bad that he almost walked and Kevin Feige hired uh, Michael Green, who's one of the writers of Logan, to come on and start from scratch at that point. But like as, as Chris Evangelista, who wrote this up, said in his article, like, why is it so hard to get Blade right? He's just sort of like an ass-kicking vampire hunter and this isn't rocket science. So like, what, what, do you, what is it do you think about the blade take that Marvel is trying to do here that is, uh, is causing so many problems? Like we've, we've heard that they're 
um, interested in sort of tapping into more of like a horror centric kind of thing. That's been, um, you know, something that they've said a few times, like around the Doctor Strange movies, but they, they've said that specifically about Blade before, like we want to, and, and kind of like Werewolf by Night too, like we want to tap into this other corner of the Marvel, Marvel universe. What is it about Blade, do you think that's given them such trouble? I really don't know, because like, it, I, I would guess that like, maybe it's just hard to fit Blade into the Marvel Cinematic Universe as as it is right now, because like, how do you fit something like vampires into a universe that's really only dealt with like, uh, cosmic threats, you know, aliens, and this kind of digs into a more uh, fantastical, mystical realm. And granted, you know, Shang-Chi did give us a little bit of that, but even that is something completely different from vampires and werewolves. And like, if you're going to do it, then it needs to be something that feels completely disconnected from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, even though it takes place with within the MCU, like Werewolf by Night, because that worked uh, very well, because it didn't need any of that connective tissue. It just felt like a cool story on its own. So, yeah, I really don't know what the trouble is, like it, because Blade is such a cool character. Like, he, he always has been. And I, I don't know what, like how you, you can get this wrong. So maybe they're just overthinking it. Yeah, I was wondering about that. And I was also wondering about the, the Kit Harrington of it all, because like he appeared in... Um, Eternals and seemed to indicate that he would you know, the very end of that movie seemed to indicate that he would show up in the Blade film. So I'm wondering if they just, yeah, kind of got bogged down in the mythology and the, you know, bring that character along. Um, maybe, yeah, if Blade was relegated to the fourth lead, maybe Kit Harrington was in the works there too. But like, I don't know the, the idea. I'm not like in, inherently opposed to the idea of making Blade a supporting character in, in his own movie, just because that's worked before, uh, if you look at Mad Max Fury Road, he's kind of, you know, Max, the, the Tom Hardy character is kind of a supporting character in his own film there. And that movie, you know, uh, was Oscar uh, Oscar nominated a bunch of times and like is one of the most beloved films of the past 15 years or whatever. So, um, yeah, anyway, I, I, I'm not really I don't really have like a, a hot take on what they should do with Blade. But um, the one thing that I thought was interesting is they're talking about uh, looking for a budget of around $100 million for this one which I think is a really smart move um, because something like the Marvels, which is coming up in like a, a week or two, uh, has a $250 million budget. So um, bringing that budget down will probably help them, you know, take some more interesting creative swings and potentially won't get bogged down as much in the VFX that have been plaguing Marvel for a while. So um, what do you think about like a, a comparatively lower budget Blade movie? No, I, and honestly, I think that's what Marvel needs to do across the board. They kind of have to get back to... Uh, to basic, you know, pair things down to like uh, how much movies cost when they were making, you know, the first Iron Man and the first Captain America, because uh, they didn't need huge budgets to make those movies happen. Uh, and I think that they've kind of just lost sight of like what made the movies good to begin with. You know, uh, they need to pull back on VFX, they need to pull back on the size of set pieces. They need to just get, give us something that it feels a little more grounded and doesn't rely so much on big budget filmmaking. You know, that I think that's Marvel's just got to go back to, to being smaller again. Yeah, I agree. Um, another, uh, I guess, pull out from that variety story is that the Marvels, which I just mentioned, had four weeks of reshoots. Um, traditionally, I believe Marvel has built in two weeks of uh, additional photography into the, the scheduling of all of its movies. Um, 
four weeks, obviously longer than, than usual, even, even for a Marvel film. And like Marvel has been known for sort of tweaking things up until the very last minute. Uh, but it's not the longest. I mean, th- there are plenty of reasons to be alarmed about what's going on behind the scenes with the Marvels because the film had its release date moved a bunch of times. And, um, you know, there's like the the ongoing mess of the VFX problem and then like the overall dip in quality since Avengers Endgame and like the fact that uh, this movie is not tracking particularly well. I think the original movie made over a billion dollars, but this one is just on track to open somewhere between 75 and 80 million in its opening weekend, which is like not great for a movie that has a $250 million budget. So like there's a lot of reasons to sort of be uh, on edge or like a little wary of what's going on with the Marvels. But um, you know, those reshoots I think should not be the only thing that contributes to that because Dr. Strange and the Multiverse of Madness had six weeks of reshoots where they were working six days a week during that stretch. And we all saw how that turned out. (laughs) I mean, yes, that's true. It did perform fairly well at the box office. So I guess if that's your only metric for uh, success or whatever, then that, that, you know, bodes fairly, or, you know, should bode kind of quasi well, but, um, but yes, of course, like we want, we want these to work creatively as well. That's my primary, uh, hope for, for all of these things. So, um, all right, well let's take, and actually I should mention too, that like, uh, Amon Villani, who was delightful as Ms. Marvel is going to be a major part of this movie. And I'm, I'm really hoping that she's able to bring a sense of fun to this and like maybe help save the movie in some ways, because um, Brie Larson has not really been able to have a lot of fun as that character. And Ms. Marvel definitely is a, a fun, uh, a fun force in the MCU, as we talked about when we broke down all those episodes of that show. So, um, okay, let's take a break and then we will be right back. All right, so there's another story, Brad, about how um, too much Marvel became the company's kryptonite. We don't really need to rehash that. We've talked about that a lot. Um, just the idea of like Marvel needing to pull back and and not and now, like turn down the fire hose a little bit. You know, they they made all of those announcements at that investor day in 2020, and uh, it was just too much. And I think they are realizing that now and realizing that was a big part of why everything is going downhill for them. Um, one of the interesting other stories that came out of this was that uh, She-Hulk's shaky visual effects are only part of the story behind a chaotic production. So um, did you read this one at all? Do you know anything about this? No, I didn't check this one out, actually. <clears throat> so everybody knows that the visual effects in She-Hulk were not great. And it turns out that the flashback sequences uh, involving the lead character's powers from the pilot episode were originally intended to appear several episodes later in the show. But ah. Kevin Feige and the Marvel Brain Trust basically demanded that they be shifted to the pilot instead, which then forced the visual effects team to work on a, f- a shorter timeline to try to clean up the mess. So. That. Yeah, that's not exactly what you want. Um, Victoria Alonso, who has since been fired from Marvel, she was overseeing the visual effects at the company, and she's gotten a lot of the blame for Marvel's garbage VFX lately. Um, But a source tells Variety, let me pull up the quote here. Uh, They say, the so-called bad VFX we see was because of half-baked scripts. That is not Victoria. That is Kevin. And even above Kevin... Those issues should be addressed in pre-production. The timeline is not allowing the Marvel executives to sit with the material. 
So yeah, I mean, we we get that in the movies too. I mean, that was you know a big part of the problem with the VFX in Thor: Love and Thunder. You know, because Taika was constantly making changes to the script on set and like redoing these things, and the visual effects artists are like, you got you can't keep doing this. Like, there's yeah. none none of this has been prevised or anything. <laughs> yeah, and there, I, I, you know, we should mention that if we haven't already, that like a lot of the visual effects folks at Marvel have voted to unionize, and I think the folks at uh, Walt Disney Animation are are currently in the process of voting to unionize as well. So like. Um, hopefully the unionization will help prevent some of the incredible stories that we've seen over the past few years of like ridiculous burnout and these, you know, crazy stories that, that uh, about folks in the uh, visual effects community who have been forced to work ridiculously long hours and like miss, you know, huge parts of their lives due to these studios making decisions that are just kind of like, uh, seemingly on a whim at the last second and not actually like planning things out in advance. Um, the other uh, two bits that I thought were worth pointing out from the She-Hulk thing was that one episode of the show cost $25 million, Brad, which is like wow. totally insane, uh, which is more than like the budget of an episode of the final season of Game of Thrones. And when you look at you know how the the what the aesthetics are of those episodes if you compare those two i mean it's not even close uh and then also there was a, a quick line like a throwaway line in the variety piece about how the finalized visual effects weren't done until after the show premiered on disney plus they like pulled a cats on us and like re-uploaded the file after it was you know after people had watched it basically to clean up the the visual effects messes that they were basically like forced to release the show with, um, which is just kind of bonkers. Like, you know, there's, you're spending $25 million on an episode and you can't get the visual effects right before you have to release it to the world. That's just really um, indicative of the, the problems that yeah. are, have been going on there. So, um, okay. The, the final big story is one that you alluded to earlier, which is that there have been uh, some rumblings of Marvel and the, the brain trust folks wanting to reunite the original Avengers team for a new movie. Um, and that includes the dead people, uh, including Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man and Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow. So, uh, I mean, just like gut check, Brad, is that something that you would be interested in seeing? Uh, honestly, it all depends on how they do it. And I think that Marvel is now in a position where the multiverse lends themselves the opportunities to do things that otherwise would be stupid if they had to bring characters back from the dead. Uh, but if you're able to bring us a version of Tony Stark and Natasha Romanoff from another universe where they are not dead and give us the original Avengers together again... Uh, in a unique way because you have a couple characters who come from another universe and maybe don't know the other characters uh, as well, then that would be something that could offer some fun and interesting uh, collaboration between those characters. But if you're talking about bringing Tony Stark back from the dead or Black Widow back from the dead, that is some dumb shit. Yeah, I agree. And you mentioned Deadpool 3 earlier, and I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about this, but I think that's what they're doing with that project too, right? They're bringing Hugh Jackman back, but presumably not undoing the emotional death that he experienced at the end of Logan. Is that right. correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay. As far as we know. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, Brad, like on one hand, I can understand the impulse uh, from the folks at Marvel and Disney to say like, uh-oh, we're not performing, you know, we're, the projects that we're making are not performing as well. People don't like them as much maybe we should go back to the well and tap into what worked in the past and give people what they want. Like I, I understand the impulse there. Um, but it, it honestly reminds me of like Disney's hyper reliance on 
the imagery from the classic Star Wars things that they just keep going back to. And it's like they're unable to move beyond, um, you know, this this uh, iconography that they've created that like people are familiar with. And they're just kind of it just seems like a cowardly move. Like they're they're too scared to take a risk and to create a new story and a new generation of characters like they've tried to do that but people have not been reacting well to it so like i have a little bit of sympathy here but also like that's kind of the the game that you're playing that's the industry that you're in right like you can't just keep rehashing this stuff over and over again because then you're not going to have anything like what you know to what end i guess is the question yeah how how far does this go you know and especially because like it, it would it would be something that would be cool if a lot more time had passed, but as it stands, you know, we're only four years out from Endgame when we lost Black Widow and Iron Man. So maybe if it was 10 years down the road, like all of a sudden, oh crap, like this is great. But like right now, no, it just feels desperate. Yeah. Yeah. So like, what do you think the, I don't know, I guess I'm asking you an impossible question, but like, what, what do you think they could, if they, if they don't reunite the original Avengers team, um, do you see any path forward for Marvel to regain the, iron grip that it once had on culture or do you think that you know that that period is done it ended with endgame and now marvel studios has just has to come to uh, grips with reality right they have to they have to realize that they're just in a new um era of whatever marvel is going to be and like you know um adapt accordingly or what do you think do you think they'll ever be able to like recapture their glory days yeah, I mean, that's a tough question. I, I don't know what it would take to really be able to recapture those glory days because, like, on, on, really what you have with the MCU is this unique, you know, collaboration and crossover where all of these movies connected to one each other for, you know, the biggest crossover event that, you know, motion picture history uh, has seen, you know, r- rather, you know, aside from Abbott and Costello, me Frankenstein. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it, I think that, like, just how everything came together worked so well for the Infinity Saga, and it was such a unique thing to see unfold for the first time that fans just couldn't get enough, especially since everything was connected. But now the interconnectivity of it all has started to become more of a hurdle and a, a frustration than it has been a feature like it was before. And I think what what really what you need to do is go back to keeping some franchises isolated and then every now and then have some characters cross over rather than constantly making reference to like, where's Spider-Man? What's Thor doing? Oh, here come the Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, you know, I think that you need to get get back to like keeping characters on their own line and then occasionally coming back into contact with each other. And I, I think if there's any hope for Marvel getting back on the track that they once had, it's probably going to lie with however they reboot X-Men because X-Men has such a large roster of characters and there's so much that they can tap into in a way that uh, neither of the other X-Men franchises were able to that I think that you could do something really really cool uh, with the X-Men so if there's something that you know provides any silver of hope it's them having another crack at, at doing X-Men right yeah I agree with that and I, I'm also wondering if like you know capitalism won't let uh, Disney and Marvel just take a 10 year break or a five year break or whatever. Like there's just no way that that's a reasonable expectation for us to have. Um, even though that might be beneficial for them creatively. So I am wondering if like, you know, there's been some speculation. I think Ryan Scott has speculated on this podcast in the past that like maybe, um, Avengers secret wars and, and, or Avengers Kang dynasty might reboot the, 
the entire concept of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like once that uh, those Avengers movies are done, the MCU could like narratively go in in an entirely different path or maybe like recast everybody step into a sideways universe or something and kind of like retell these stories over and over again or whatever i wonder if you think that there's that marvel is like considering doing that um maybe earlier than anticipated or if that would be like a a potentially viable path forward like that i could imagine a scenario in which they say okay you know all these stories that we're telling right now are not going down as well as we hope things are not performing as well financially, blah, blah, blah. Let's reboot the entire MCU as we know it, recast everyone across the board, slowly reintroduce some of these popular characters back into a new ongoing story and kind of like try again in a different um, configuration. What what do you think about that? I mean, uh, it's an interesting idea and it's not one, you know, that is totally crazy because this is what they do in Marvel Comics all the time. You know, we get so many different iterations of Thor and Captain America and uh, and there's plenty of different versions of Spider-Man out there, too. You know, so like doing an entire reboot where we get different versions of those characters wouldn't, you know, be terrible. It, it, it Again, it's just a matter of, I think, how you do it. Um, you know, like, do you want to jump into a completely new Thor franchise when Chris Hemsworth is still you know, perfectly fine in the role, even if the if Thor Love and Thunder was a little bit rough, it's not Chris Hemsworth's fault. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so like, I, I think doing that with some of the characters makes sense at some point. It's just a matter of like, when and how because you don't want to get into the, the issue that we had with Spider-Man where we got his, you know, origin story three different times. You know, we don't we don't need to f- find out how Thor became Thor and how Captain America became Captain America all over again, I don't think. Yeah, and then I don't know, I guess like rebooting them individually, you run the risk of like um, you know, the narrative confusion that sort of plagued some of what was going on with the DC universe where like certain people were Batman for a while and then like this is, you know, here's our Aquaman, but he's actually going to, or, or uh, I guess Viola Davis, um, her Amanda Waller character is a better example. Like she showed up in Suicide Squad and and then the Suicide Squad and then the DCU is coming, which is going to reboot everything. But she's also going to continue on playing that character afterwards. And it's just like a little confusing. It would be easier for audiences, I think, to, to process some of this stuff and like swallow it if they just like made a clean break, you know? Yeah. Um, but as you said, like, you know, so it's, it's I, I quite enjoy Chris Hemsworth as Thor. I think he's um, settled into that role really well. So like you're kind of like leaving money on the table in a, in a way, or like uh, you're, you're um, walking away from a good thing too early, potentially if you, if you uh, reboot that franchise uh, or, or just like reboot the entire MCU and, and um, essentially push him to the side before you really need to. So yeah, it's a tough thing. And I said, I was joking earlier about like, you know, we're trying to make decisions here that uh, and, and provide answers to questions that people who get paid millions of dollars are, are thinking about actively every single day. Um, and I don't know if we did it, Brad, to be honest with you. I'm not, I'm not sure if we cracked it here today, but uh, it was if fun we, if, trying. If we did, Disney knows where to send our checks. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, any closing thoughts on any of these stories that we talked about? Anything that you wanted to mention that we didn't get a chance to talk about? Uh, no, not really. You know, we'll just we'll see what happens. Um, I... I never thought I would get to a point where that I would feel kind of like uh, uh, only p- 
passingly interested in what was happening with Marvel, but lately it's been it's been tough to be excited. I'm enjoying Loki season two right now, even though I think there's a lot of temporal exposition uh, for its own good. Um, I'm I'm curious about the Marvels because I did like Ms. Marvel and there was a recent clip that was released that made it look, you know, like it could be pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I've just been, I've been whelmed by most of the Marvel stuff, uh, (laughs) recently. So yeah, it's going to take something truly interesting for me to really, you know, be all in again. Okay, well, that's going to do it for today's show. You can find more about all the stories that we mentioned at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes for this episode. The SlashFilm show is published two times a week, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our newsletter, send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at bpearson at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next time.